Welcome to the Henchmen of Comics. I'm Alex Eschback. I'm Matt Golden. And this week we're doing a trade swap, or we did a trade swap. Yeah, we did. A trade swap is where we pick a comic book for the other person to read that they've never read before. They have no idea what's going on. Uh, before they get it, it's a total surprise, and we just hand it off to the other person and say, good luck, you dummy. Have fun. Yeah, and we tried to read them as close to this recording as possible, so everything stayed as fresh without having a lot of time to marinate on it, which might not work out for the best, but we'll find out. Yeah, it's going to be totally piss poor on my end right here. I can go ahead and tell you guys. For Alex, I chose One More Year by Simon Hanselman. It is the third installment of the Megan Mog series, which started out as a comic book series by Mr. Hanselman back in the day. He has since released three trades, Mega Hex, Mega Meg and Mog in Amsterdam, and now this is the third Meg and Mog adventure in one more year. I chose this one because it is absolutely fucking hysterical, and I just want everybody in the world to know about this book. And Simon Hanselman, it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. It's as close to perfection that I could think to come to, and I don't think Alex is ever experienced anything quite this deluded and delusional as far as these characters are concerned. Yeah, when I first started reading One More Year, I actively hated this. I was wondering why did Matt pick this for me, especially because he told me that I was going to laugh my ass off. And I sat there stone-faced, angry, looking down the tiny little bottom corner page number print to see how much more I had left. (laughs) But eventually, I kind of overcame that, and I found things I enjoyed about the book. I mean, I didn't enjoy it at first. It just kind of felt like a shitty version of Bojack Horseman. That's still high praise. I mean, I guess that's fair. But it's just this world uh, of absurdity where the main characters are heavy drug users. And there's the guy who's mostly straight man, although he uses as well. He's just less of a fuck up than the others. And it had a lot of anti-jokes. So it just seemed like some stories would just end randomly at... No point. I mean, it could end at any panel, and the effect would have been the same to me. But it wasn't until there was a longer story talking about the or showing the characters back when they were in high school, and that's when I really came around to the book. Yeah, so it's it centers around four main characters: Meg and Mog. Meg is a witch who doesn't shave. She drinks, smokes weed all the time with her boyfriend, who is a cat named Mog. He is actually the size of a cat. He also pretty much sticks to the same script as Meg. Meg has the added benefit of being wildly depressed throughout the entire book. And that's something that really brings a human nature to to their drug abuses. Next, you have their roommate, Owl, who's their straight-laced owl best friend, who they, for some reason, hang out with, I think just because he has money. But he's a fuck-up, too. But he tries to play it straight age and play it cool. But they all think that he's kind of like a narc type guy, but he definitely smokes weed and drinks all the booze with them. And then last, but most certainly not least, my favorite character is motherfucking werewolf Jones, who is a party animal ready to take any random pills, snort anything that comes in front of him in a powder form. And he is going to put butt plugs in anyone anywhere at any time. All that stuff just felt like crude humor at first throughout the beginning of it. And it just felt like the writer was just trying to include as much crudeness as he could without telling any real jokes or telling a real story. 
But like you mentioned, Meg's depression, which I don't really key into until I read the story with them in high school, because you saw a different side of them. You saw that Mog was a track star and popular in high school. They all went to the same high school, apparently. Or Werewolf Jones, I don't know if you did or not, but he was hanging around. He was the bully type, uh, not really friends with him. He ends up beating up Al, who was a nerd. <laughs> but it was at that time, they got fleshed out to me. Like, they became real people with problems. And I understood more of why they do what they do. Except for Werewolf Jones, who just seems like he may have severe uh, mental issues where he needs actual psychiatric help. Yeah. Oh, he most definitely is criminally insane. At one point, he crashes his car into Target with his two little boys and proceeds to steal a absolute fuck ton of <laughs> Yankee candles and baby car seats. Yeah, which he flips, and <laughs> eventually the flipping game got so good that he pulls up to Al's house, who he made an unwilling accomplice, arriving in a limo, riding on segways, and wants to stash some furniture because the raid business has gotten so good for him. <laughs> and then they kind of pan out over the city, and there's just fires all over town from all these places that he's crashed his car into. It's a very fleshed out book, um, despite what Alex is reading or telling you, because keep in mind, this is a web series. It was meant to be just little snippets and vignettes of these little tiny stories. And now they've been compiled into the now three books. And this is certainly the most fleshed out and, and realized of them all. Yeah. And if I had read it at first of the web series, my opinion might be different because oh, you go sure. in with different expectations. Yeah, I just handed a trade paperback that I knew nothing about going into. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just kind of handed you this hardcover book and said, "Read this, you jabroni." And yeah, with a beautiful like RC hardcover, and so I thought I was getting something a little more maybe highbrow, and not that I uh, have anything against lowbrow or anything. It's just my expectations were flipped. I should say. <laughs> Did you read the series before you got this hardcover, this trade? Oh, yeah. I actually started with Megan Mogg in Amsterdam. I saw the cover of that one, which is actually quite beautiful as well. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So I picked it up at one of my local comic book stores and actually just started kind of flipping through it. And I was like, this is bizarre and funny and weird. I'm totally buying this. And then I read the first one in the series, which was less fleshed out, but still equally hilarious. And then I was... Eagerly anticipating this, and actually this book came out less than a month ago. So I like how you chose to start me with the third one yep. in the series, even though I'm not sure it matters as much in this series as it would with traditional comics, not alt comics. No, the arc is very, very low. It's not a, a super high arc. It doesn't go all over the map. There's not a stuff that, a lot of stuff that you have to keep up with. And it definitely has like that sitcom effect to where at the end of a story or a vignette, Seemingly things can change in the next story. Whatever changed didn't actually happen because everything's back to normal. That's true. What was your favorite moment? My favorite moment is we are, let's go into Megan Mogg's house. It is Al and Werewolf Jones sitting on the couch. And Al looks over at Werewolf Jones, who just happens to be shooting up heroin casually on his couch. Really, it seems like for no good reason, just because it's the thing to do at the time. And Al asks him, do you have to do heroin inside the house? And Werewolf Jones responds, of course I do. It's really windy outside. As if that's an excuse to just shoot up heroin inside. Actually, my favorite moment, it wasn't so much a joke. It was this weird referential thing later. During the story where you see them in high school, Mikey's with them. 
who's not one of the main characters, but he shows up. He's one of their human friends. He's a wizard. Is he a wizard? Yeah, he's yeah. a wizard. See, again, if you read the third trade, they never mention that he's a wizard at any <laughs> point at all. But when you see him in high school, he's wearing a black Zero shirt with the white Zero print, the star like Billy Corgan used to wear in the Smashing Pumpkins. And then later, there's another story that takes place at a swimming pool where Mikey's working as a lifeguard. And he's on the lifeguard tower with headphones in, and he's singing Smashing Pumpkins. So I thought that was just a nice touch. I really like that. I don't know why. It wasn't like super funny or anything, but it's just something. I'm not a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan either, but it's something that I really enjoyed about it. There's a bunch of little bits like that thrown in throughout the series. Uh, some of them are more overt, uh, like Werewolf Jones screaming, motherfucking Vin Diesel as he's driving his car through these targets and screaming, RIP Paul Walker. And then some of them are much less obvious, like the Smashing Pumpkins one. Yeah, and we should mention that when you read this, things can go from 0 to 30 real quick. I think that's just kind of an expectation. They don't ever hit 100, but it's 0 to 30. Yeah. <laughs> because they'll be at a water park and they'll be inside a locker room. A fight breaks out. Someone gets thrown through a window and it turns out that Mikey's boss is a pedophile. It was a two-way mirror and he's just watching young boys chained. Oh yeah. That brings me to my second favorite moment. And then I'll, I'll leave you guys alone with all my favorite moments of werewolf Jones. While they're at the water park, he takes a handful of random pills from this bag that his friend gave him. And it turns out he just took a bunch of Viagra and of course, he's just wearing a Speedo, so he's walking around with his penis basically where everybody can see it at all times, and it's just fully erect for hours on end. Great moment. Is there anything that you wanted more from One More Year that you didn't get? No, it I it got fleshed out. The art in it is even better than Megan Mog in Amsterdam, which is the second installment. It's bright, it's vivid, it also is dull when it needs to be dull, but it's most importantly fully actualized and he really knows what he's doing with this third installment and i can't wait for uh, the next installment in a year or two because keep in mind it's one guy writing drawing everything color it's all this one man doing this phenomenal job on this book check it out go buy it it's hardcover it's beautiful buy it on your local uh comic book shop go buy it from them they might not have it. You might have to go to Amazon for this one. It's a weird one. It's by uh, it's on printed on Fantagraphics. Have you got anything from them, Alex? No. <laughs> They're a more obscure printing company. They also do a lot of Daniel Klaus stuff. Ghost World fame. Yeah. At times throughout the book, I thought, especially in the beginning, I thought the artwork was kind of static. But I did notice his abilities growing even later in the series. And it became a little bit more eventful. I mean, I definitely could have used some more backstory of these characters who they are. Like, I know, I just learned that Mikey was a wizard. And maybe that was because someone started me with the third trade in the series. Well, uh, I would I would just like to add that it is very obvious that Mikey's a wizard because he's wearing a wizard's hat and wizard's robes at all times. It's kind of implied that he's okay. a wizard. He's not wearing wizard's robe. He's basically dressed... Like Aaron Paul's character and Bojack Horseman, but w- with a pointier hat and sunglasses. He might not be wearing robes in this one. You might be <laughs> right. You might have me on this one. So a lot of times I, I couldn't even make inference to that, which really isn't even a problem for the casual. I guess that's a problem only for the casual reader because most people wouldn't start a story in, at the third story. Like <laughs> no one goes into you know it's like you know what? I think I'm going to watch the third Hunger Games first 
And then if I like that, I'll go back to the first two. Yeah, that's just me setting people up for failure here. Yeah. Uh, it's just Matt having some fun with a wicked little grin on his face. Just waiting for butt plug jokes. Oh, that's yeah. That's why he picked it, because there's more butt plug jokes per page in the third <laughs> trade than any of the others. Yeah, that I mean, that's true. There were more butt plug jokes in this, comics, in this comic book per page than I think any other comic book known to man. So that's a challenge out there to all comic book creators. Make more butt plug jokes, and I will buy your book. Really, all comic book creators, you don't need to do that. I don't need to see that in my Teen Titans stories. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> you are so very wrong. But I think, do you have anything else you want to talk about for one more year? No, let's talk about the book that you gave me. Okay, I chose Batman Cacophony by Kevin Smith and Walt Flanagan. The reason I chose that is because it is one of my favorite, just shorter, like, standalone Batman stories. Big Kevin Smith fan. So I wanted to give, I, I looked through all my trades, like countless times trying to figure out what to give him to read, but I didn't want to give him the first in a series of like eight books. I didn't want to give him like a giant omnibus of like 400 pages to read either. And Cacophony is just short and sweet. It's only three issues. So I thought it was a good place to start for a trade swap. So what'd you think of it? I thought it was Kevin Smith doing comic books, which is both a good thing and kind of a, a weird, interesting, and at times puzzling thing. Yeah, Kevin's a real voicey writer, so he definitely, his voice bleeds through over just the characters themselves, and you can get that with some other people. Morrison, I think, that happens with Garth Ennis, that happens with sometimes, but they're more talented comic book writers, so I think they're able to hide that easier. Yeah, the whole time I kind of just felt like I was reading Kevin Smith writing the Joker, which I mean, obviously is what it is. Uh, but a lot of the the dialogue, I was like, this is 100% Kevin Smith. And again, that's not a terrible thing. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. I've seen every movie he's done. So it was, it was about time that I read this book, which I was less than super enthusiastic about at the, at the end, which might surprise you a little bit. I thought the concept was fantastic. I absolutely love the story in general, but some of his choices, I mean, I'm obviously not a Batman writer, but if, if I was a Batman writer, they were not the choices that I would have made. Yeah. The way I view Cacophony now is it's not close to being a perfect Batman story, but it has several great moments throughout the book. I also, I really enjoy Walt Flanagan's art style. I think he's a fan of like the golden age of comics. And so you kind of see that bleeding through the way he draws the characters. Yeah, he's not a super known comic book writer. He's on Comic Book Man. He's a huge comic book buff. At no time was I like, this guy shouldn't have gotten the job just because he's Kevin Smith's friend. He, no, he, he definitely got handed has talent. This. He definitely does. I was not displeased by the art whatsoever. I thought it was fantastic. My issue alone kind of stems from the way that he wrote some of the characters in this book. Mainly the Joker, who is not tip-top shape anymore. He's out of step. He's just not the same Joker to me. Yeah. Before we get into that though, what are your favorite moment from the series? <laughs> it's weird that I say that. And now I'm going to go in and tell you my favorite <laughs> moment is actually a Joker moment. I'm a huge Joker fan. I think I've said that multiple times on here before, but my thing is the very last issue. Batman has a chat with the Joker who is on an ass load of antipsychotics and antidepressants. And he's the most humanized version of the Joker that you might ever see. Even still, 
he poses a question to Batman. I believe he poses it to Batman and asks him if he wants him dead. And Batman basically just tells him no in a long-winded version. The Joker then replies with a long-winded version of, I want you dead more than anything. Then I can rest happy in the nut house. And that kind of, that moment just sank with me. I was like, Oh shit. The Joker's only the Joker because Batman is Batman. Yeah. Like you kind of mentioned earlier, I don't think as a whole, this is the best take on the Joker, but that moment right there is a great moment. And I think Kevin Smith really, really dug into the psyche of what the Joker is and how he views his relationship to Batman. Yeah, the rest of the book I wasn't pleased with with the Joker's performance at all. The first two issues, there's only three issues in this in this little mini series, <clears throat> and the first two I just wasn't feeling it. But that third one really wrapped it up in a nice little bow. My favorite moment was closer towards the beginning. It was when Deadshot is going to Arkham to break the Joker, or actually to kill the Joker in prison. But Onomatopoeia shows up and tries to kill Deadshot and free the Joker. And he ends up killing Deadshot, shooting him in the face. You see the blood pouring out of that iconic helmet that he wears. But later, when Batman shows up on the scene and talks to the detectives, they tell him what happened. And he doesn't think that Deadshot is actually dead. And he goes through the ambulance where the body is, and he unzips him. Because he knew that Deadshot had laced his mask with a blood capsule to where it would appear that he dead. And built his suit to where it didn't show any signs of fatality. I thought that was just a really cool, clever moment. I like Deadshot being a clever character. I also like, too, like Batman being impressed with the tech. It's such a small thing. I thought it was really cool for more of a classic Batman take. It was, and then Batman ended up using the tech later for when he got shot in the face himself, which, of course, uh, a little late now, but spoilers. Something we always do here is tell you way too late that we're spoiling everything. (laughs) We get through two entire books, and then we're like, oh, by the way, we got some spoilers for you today, folks. But, yeah, this was... A really, really neat moment where Black black Man uh, has got that, that blood capsule thing in his helmet now. It's pretty sweet. And another moment I thought was really cool was you learn when you see... Onomatopoeia is actually, I would say, the central villain to the story. Although the Joker plays a central role throughout. Because it ends with a cliffhanger with Onomatopoeia. Which, for those of you that don't know, is a villain created by Kevin Smith that first showed up when he wrote his Green Arrow run. But... It Ooh, sh- I like that trivia. It shows Onomatopoeia returning to his house, and apparently he looks like he's a family man in the suburbs. You never see his face or anything, but you see him being greeted by his family. And he goes into his study, where he has all of these display cases with nameplates already printed on them, because his goal is to kill heroes that are non-metahumans, like Batman and Green Arrow. Robin too, and you see these masks of non-metahumans of apparently trophies of heroes that he's killed already. If you don't know what a metahuman is, it's somebody like Superman. Wonder Woman would fall into this category. Yeah, it's basically all of the Justice League except for Batman. Yep, pretty much. A lot of you call would you call Cyborg a metahuman? I don't call him a human. I, he's not not in my Justice League. <laughs> and actually, I guess Martian Manhunter wouldn't be a metahuman. You're just being Martian. Yeah. Yeah. He's cool with Martians, though. Onomatopoeia. No problems with those guys. And would Green Lantern be a metahuman without the ring? Or is he just a guy with tech like Batman? I think he he counts as a metahuman. Okay. We're getting a little off topic right now. Oh, no. Yeah. This comes up in the book. Yeah. This is totally on topic. But what didn't you like about this book? Uh, first off, I didn't like, like I said, the Joker. Uh, I thought the first two issues kind of dragged on a little bit there. 
like 35 pages a piece, which is a little long for, for a comic book. They're usually in the 22 to 27 range. So I feel like it dragged on top of, on top of everything else. The, the plot development was a little slow for me, but that's really the only complaints I had. Issue three was fantastic. Finally got the Joker that, that I wanted back. But the Joker was just kind of crude the first couple of issues in this one, which I, I was like, oh, this is not my Joker. But I liked Onomatopoeia quite a lot. Uh, every appearance that he had in it, I thought he was a good central villain. I could have used a different character instead of the Joker in there, but it was in the end, I think it was worth it for that last final bit. Yeah, like you mentioned, the Joker's crudeness, and that's kind of what we alluded to earlier. When When you read that, at least for me and probably for Matt as well, it takes you out of reading a Batman story and makes it feel like that's just Kevin Smith forcing a crude line down a character's throat. Exactly. And and I'm all for being crude. I mean, I was just talking about how much I love butt plug jokes in my comic books, but it does not really belong in Batman stories. It just doesn't fit. No, and it, it's stuff like that. Like the Joker. That's what she said. <laughs> the Joker is real and even. Like there are great moments where the Joker blows up a school full of children. Uh, to demonstrate his power and cruelty over Maxi Zeus, who screwed him over. And films like that, you're like, oh, this is a Joker. And then we go back to the crudeness joke. So it's just not even. I don't know. I mean, if that's... I, th- I think that's something that you're just going to get when Kevin Smith writes a comic. Actually, I shouldn't say that, because there's not so much that in Green Arrow. There's not that in the his Batman 66 story. It's just this series, for whatever reason. Uh, Have you read his Daredevil? Yes, and it's not his Daredevil either, and his Daredevil run is fantastic too. Okay, just a real quick aside, since we're talking about Kevin Smith comic books, which series of his would you say is the strongest? His Green Arrow series is the strongest, and then followed closely by his Daredevil series. I think the art works better in the Daredevil series, although it's really good in the Green Arrow series too. Would you be saying this if you weren't such a huge Green Arrow fan? That is a series that made me a Green Arrow fan, so I can't really separate the two. I definitely Fair think enough. his Batman run is the weakest. Although I never read his Spider-Man series that he started at Marvel but never finished. Oh, smooth move, Kev. Well, and that's kind of a trend, too. Uh, this book takes place before Rebirth. It's before New 52. It's in the old DC universe. And there's a second one to this book, which is called The Widening Gyre, which is, I want to say, five or six issues. But there was supposed to be a third book in the series called Batman Bellicosity, and as of now, it still hasn't been released, and we're getting close to approaching a decade, so... Oh, so I don't think that one's ever coming out. Yeah, I know, Which and it sucks too, because Cacophony ends with a bit of a cliffhanger, Bellicosity, or no, Whiting Gyre definitely ends on a cliffhanger, so it just sucks not having a conclusion to the story. For both of these books, give me a grade 1 to 10. Let's hear it, buddy. One more year, I will give an even five. Oh, wow. Yeah, which so far is the little score I've given to anything on this show. Uh, And it's just because, for me, the book has a lot of flaws. And like I said, if I was consuming it online or read the first two trades, it might be different for me. But from what I read, it's a five. It has some great moments and some terribly low low moments, too. (laughs) For Cacophony, I'd probably give it a six and a half. I, I do enjoy it. It's one of those things that my memory of it is better than the actual experience when you reread it. It's kind of like when you love something as a kid and then you watch it again as an adult and you're just like, I wish I'd never loved that because now my memory's tainted a bit. 
I'm not saying that because I still do enjoy it. It's a fun run. It's short. It's a quick read. But it's just, there's just better stuff out there. Yeah, I'll start with Cacophony. And I will give that one a six. Like Alex said, it was just uneven throughout. I don't have much else to say on that one. I just talked about it at length. But one more year. I am a huge fan of the crude, goofy humor uh, in the right setting. Simon Hanselman has developed his own nice little world full of funny jokes, beautiful art at times, and trippy but surreal moments where he can really paint these most fucked up characters in a very endearing light, something that you don't really think at the start of the book you're ever going to see, especially if you're new to the to the series. I give this one the highest score that I've given anything yet at a 9.5. But again, this book is definitely not for everyone. Alex will attest to that. I'm sure if I tried to let him borrow another one, he'd probably turn me down right now. But that is my score, and I'm sticking to it. Wow, a 9.5. That's, yes, uh... I love this. I love this series so much. I I eagerly anticipate the next one. I'm speechless, folks. Good, you should be. That's the highest grade that I think anything's received on this show. And let it be known that nothing will ever be higher. <laughs> so Matt <laughs> believes... <laughs> that he's reached his max level enjoyment out of anything. Yep, that's true. Everything from here Tell on me out now. is just going to be a disappointment. 100%. And that is also the biggest uh, grading discrepancy that we've seen between Alex and my scores, too. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Flush it out for, your fo- for yourself, folks. Yeah, well, this about wraps it up for our first trade swap. We'll be doing more in the future. And that's going to be it for this episode. You can email us at henchmenofcomics at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, anything that you want us to check out and talk about on the show, we would love to. Hit us up. Uh, You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's going to be it for the Henchmen of Comics. I'm Alex Eschbeck. I am Matt Golden. Henchin' ain't easy.